All right, Max Henson, Brian Strickland, moving into the next segment of this pre-draft podcast where we're going to talk about the passing game. And, of course, we all know the signal caller for this team now and in the future is Cam Newton. But it's the pieces around him that maybe could be uh, influenced by this draft. Um, and, again, not just in round one. We're talking about all the entirety of it and the different options that are available to this team. Brian, I want to start out by talking about the offensive tackles. Uh, because that has been a position for the past few years for us. When we go through the mock draft report, it had always been everybody attaching offensive tackles to the Panthers. Yeah. And everybody was wondering, okay, who's going to be that long-term answer at left tackle ever since Jordan Gross decided to step away? This year is the one year the Panthers actually have a pick where you can get an offensive tackle historically. Because right. usually if you want to get one, you're going to have to be drafting pretty high. They're sitting at number eight overall, and oddly enough, it's – doesn't seem to be any prospect that people have connected when it comes to offensive tackles to this team and to, to me that that's interesting of all the years this this is the year where everybody seems to say it's it's a weak offensive tackle class yeah late late in the year max his reality sat in set in late last season that the playoffs weren't happening for this team you know you're the last game, you're almost kind of looking at the draft board, where are we going to end up in the draft order. And, you know, the thought before you really look at the draft class was, yeah, I mean, we could be looking at a, an elite offensive tackle when, when we draft. And, of course, it's still fresh in your mind that Michael Orr's been out, you know, that Mike Rimmers is going to be a free agent. And then you start actually looking at the draft board. You're like, oh, okay, number eight, you know. I think Is there a guy? Yeah, yeah. I think if I remember – there's been five offensive tackles. I wish I had the stat in front of me. Five offensive tackles taken in the first round on average for the yes, last five I think years. Yes, you're spot on with that. Yeah. And, I mean, of course an offensive tackle is going to be taken in the first round. But it wouldn't be beyond – it wouldn't be shocking if an offensive tackle was not taken in the first round. Or maybe there yeah. shouldn't be an offensive tackle taken well, in the first Well, that's – I think that's the – what you just said there is important because, yeah, I think with how needy we know NFL teams are for offensive tackle talent, Guys are going to get drafted just because right. of that alone, uh, and maybe overdrafted in in some cases. But when it comes to the Panthers, look, Matt Khalil was the big signing of the offseason. They brought him right. in to play left tackle for this team, signed him to a five year contract. They've they've seemingly solved that problem. They believe that Matt Khalil is the answer. Of course, the right tackle spot is one that they hope will be filled by Michael Orr. That's something we're continuing to monitor throughout the offseason as we get closer to start training camp. But, of course, teams are always looking at the offensive tackle market and seeing what's out there. You felt, of course, the Panthers would look into that as well. You can, you can tell they're going to do their due diligence with that group. But it does seem like there aren't many options worth considering with that number 8 pick. Garrett Bowles, the Utah offensive tackle. Brian, I know you wrote about him at the scouting combine. He seems to me like the one guy, and my buddy Josh Norris, who does a great job covering the draft, kind of share this with me as well he feels like he's worthy of that number eight pick yeah. I haven't heard that too often but he does feel like he's a guy that that he could see if the Panthers made that move he'd be in favor of it yeah Garrett Balls is an interesting physical specimen and Ryan Ramchick you're a Wisconsin Badger yep. guy it's another one that's mentioned but uh you know one of the things with both of those guys though when I think about how Dave Gettleman you know it's kind of an interesting contrast because Dave Loves the hog mollies. Stop me if you've never heard that before. He loves the hog mollies. But What's you look, a hog mollies? Yeah, yeah. I've never heard that term. <laughs> But you look at his draft history, and they haven't 
you know, drafted, I'm pretty sure Daryl Williams in the fourth round was the top. Am I right about the fourth round there, Max? You are a fourth round pick. I mean, they yeah. drafted Trey Turner as a guard in the third. Right. But as far as tackles, tackles right. right. And then right. as far as Lyman, period, in the third round. That's also because he's kind of um, picky when it comes to these guys. He is. I mean, and it's kind of a league wide phenomenon that a lot of people, there aren't enough left tackles specifically, you know, that there are guys playing left tackle that ideally, you know, you would not want to be playing left tackle in this league. Well, that's funny. Um, I mean, we have fun with this too. How many times do you read a prospect profile of an offensive tackle from college who was had a great college career, and you immediately see shifts inside right. at the next level? Yeah, including how some many of, the of those guys, guys yeah. this I, year, even like Cam Robinson. I've heard yep. that that mentioned as a, as a possibility there. And then back to the Bowles Ramchick thing, you know, and the way Dave Gettleman would look at them, they don't have a lot of experience. I mean, they both basically played a One year, year. Uh, yeah. you know, on the top level. So they're I don't want to say they're projects necessarily because they're so physically talented, but are they ready to step in and be uh, a starting tackle right away? And Dave always says, you know, you want to pretty much, when possible, get an immediate starter when you're picking the first round, and especially goes doubly when you're picking number eight. Yep, I think you're right. There, there may be projects, and you have to project with those guys because they only have that one year of tape at the major college level. I think they're both really talented tackles. I think they're going to have successful NFL careers. But at number eight, it becomes a different a different question. Um, and this, it's it's interesting that – of all the years, it does seem like there maybe isn't a top 10 tackle when the Panthers, of all teams, are drafting in the top 10, just with what we know about that history throughout the past couple off seasons and, and how frequently we've seen it mocked to Carolina. But that's not the case this year. Yeah. Um, but all right, beyond offensive tackles, when you talk about the passing game, there are a number of different positions that can impact that. I want to shift gears to tight ends, who, of course, are also, if you're going to play tight end for the Carolina Panthers, you're going to be next to those offensive tackles. You're going to be involved in the blocking game, of course. But there are some very intriguing pass catchers, Brian. And we talked about O.J. Howard at the top of this podcast. But he's not the only tight end that brings a lot to the table. And you wonder if maybe this is the draft that Carolina goes out and gets somebody to compliment Greg Olson. Yeah, I mean, O.J. Howard, you kind of were a witness to the beginning of his rise, Max, when you were at the Senior Bowl. That, sure was, that, yeah. That event. Um, and he's now viewed as probably the one guy that would be considered in the top ten, and the Panthers are in the top ten. But the depth and talent of the class is, is evident. You know, you do, and especially with the Panthers system, you kind of repeating what you said, value blocking ability. Mm-hmm. And that might be some one of the questions with even some of these top prospect guys. I mean, th- I hope this isn't my first uh, pronunciation um, Screw up on this, but David Njoku. I, th- I mean, yeah. let's go with it. I yeah. think you got it. You sounds got it. good. That for, sounds good to me. For uh, you know, Miami is a guy that's gaining a lot of momentum, a lot of steam. Um, I think beyond OJ Howard, we're talking about secondary picks for the Panthers, though second round and all. And, yeah. And on, you know, Evan Ingram, quite a quite a route runner, pass catcher out of Mississippi State as well, blocking. Ole Miss. Know. Ole Miss. Oh, sorry about that. The, sorry. See, see, you, you just you like almost previewed your own snafu <laughs> there. It didn't come with Njoku, but you got it with. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing about Ingram to me, the guy who plays tight end, he runs up four four forty. I mean, and and to me, when I think about tight ends in the NFL. And it pertains to the NFL draft. I think a lot of times, maybe you would say, maybe at number eight or even in the, the second round, is it is it too high for a tight end, especially someone who's going to be a number two tight end playing behind an All Pro and, and Greg Olson. But now more than ever, the tight end has become a such a vital position for offenses. You know, and and they're asked to do so much more, and there's so much more involved in the passing game 
and the athletic ability of these guys is is, is pretty staggering. Yeah. To me, when you saw those 40 times come through, O.J. Howard, too, ran a 4-5. He ran as fast as Leonard Fournette did at the Combine. You're seeing premier athletes playing a tight end position, and it does make you think about the possibility of, of how is a defense possibly going to cover two tight ends if you had Greg Olson and a guy like one of these rookies who appear to be premier athletes, how, you, how do you handle that? How do you handle all that size and athletic ability coming at right. you? It seems like a nightmare scenario. Yeah, it is, it is a matchup league, of course, and that would be – we'd love to see that, of course, to see O.J. Howard and Greg Olson on the field at the same time. So that could, that's something that could work for the now, obviously, for matchups for teams, um, you know, opponents as far as challenging them. And, you know, we talked about, obviously, long-term being in mind as well. I mean, Greg Olson, nobody – Nobody's getting, you know, retirement plans. Right. (laughs) Nobody's getting those plans together for this guy. Yeah, there's not a party planned or anything, but obviously he's on the back end of the career. I think that's fair to say. I think you have to, yeah. 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 So, you know, is that a guy that could be Greg Olson five years from now if Greg Olson isn't here anymore? They're all all things to think about. How about the slots uh, receiver, Brian? Uh, this This is a position that's kind of come up. Ron Rivera has made mention of it. I think at the Combine was when he spoke about the fact that Carolina wants to emphasize and highlight the slot position more going forward. And I think that's an interesting kind of point Ron, Ron makes. Um, you're, you're, you're kind of looking for a different type of wide receiver than what Carolina has featured in the past couple seasons. You know, we, we've always been looking at guys like Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funches, who are these big-bodied wideouts that can kind of be power forwards in a lot of ways. And now maybe in the slot you're looking for a guy who's quick off the snap and, and doesn't need much space or time to get himself open and can make some plays after the catch. And, and this seems like a draft that you're going to have some options for those type of guys in, in those middle rounds. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'd say middle rounds like you mentioned. I mean, the one thing I'll say, look in the eighth pick again, we always want to start there, is the, t- the two names that, that I would think of if you were going to look at that in the first round. I mean, John Ross has, has brought – has what's the word i'm looking here max uh, ignited um, a lot of chatter absolutely as far as uh because of the amazing speed speed he showed broke speed. the broke the all time what was it for 3.98 i think he ran in the 40 three point <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, that's that would right. be amazing i think yeah. he ran a 422 <laughs> i think that's correct yes um, but you know that's that's how it was touted but anyway obviously you know and i got to see him actually kind of in person once that was kind of cool at mm-hmm. the pac 12 championship game we were out on that west coast yeah. swing um and made an amazing catch you know that i wasn't even thinking about his speed watching that. the guy can play yeah. yeah but um you know you think about him and the one that interests me can he play slot that would be the question is Corey davis because you know we talk about that best of both worlds thing like we were talking about uh, earlier about dalvin cook at running back what about Corey davis at wide receiver he is a guy that can go up and make catches in traffic that, uh, you know, is kind of on the big-bodied side, 6'3", 209. But he has some slot qualities as mm-hmm. well. He's done that some. You know, he can separate from, um, you know, from cornerbacks a little better than, like, a traditional outside guy. He's you know, yards after catch, you know. If you're thinking about a slot in the at number eight, those are like the only two guys I feel like that would even right. be considered as top ten guys. Yeah, and of course Davis, if you were to bring him in, would be much more than just a you know pigeonholed as a slot guy. A lot of people think he's the one clear cut number one wide receiver available in this draft. I think from a Panthers perspective, and right or wrong, I think a lot of people look at the fact that Carolina has a six foot five inch wide receiver in Kelvin Benjamin, a six foot four inch wide receiver in Devin Funches. 
and they look at guys like Corey Davis and Mike Williams and say, well, we've already kind of got those, yeah. you know? And I think that's just the way really our minds are kind of wired is that you almost look for, you want different pieces of the puzzle. You want certain types. Yeah. You want the big wide receiver on the outside. You kind of want the smaller shifty guy in the slot. And everybody kind of has that idea in their head. But would there be something so bad about adding Corey Davis to this wide receiver room? I certainly don't think so. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a premier wide receiver talent. Too much of a good thing I don't, I don't think would be bad. Max, I've got this figured out. Okay, here's what we do. Okay. We moved Devin Funches to tight end, oh, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm joking, but we, that's something we, of course, heard surrounding the draft is that some people said, is, is Devin Funches a tight end? Or since then, we've got an occasional suggestion in my Ask Brian mailbox, Kelvin Benjamin tight end, right? That's so amazing. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm joking, but of course. Yeah, not going to happen. Don't run with that, anybody. That's <laughs> right. not going to happen. Right. But yeah. But I your mean, point's but, taken. But the point, yeah, the point being that, yeah, Corey Davis. And again, you get back to, you know, if. I mean, this guy could be really special, and then I'm not saying you worry about that. You pick a guy like that, and then worry about the fit later. That's definitely not the case. This team is very big on how, how guys fit, but at a certain point, somebody as talented as him, they do they just naturally fit. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're talking wide receivers, you're going to start with Corey Davis. I think he's a fascinating prospect coming out of Western Michigan, and as we mentioned, there are a lot of those slot guys that I think you're going to have to keep an eye on if you're a Panther fan as we get into day two and day three of the draft. Um, but the last thing I wanted to hit on as we talk about the passing game before we wrap this part of the discussion up is the passer himself. Of course, Cam Newton is the quarterback, the face of the franchise for this team. But teams that have been in similar situations where they've had established quarterbacks have not shied away from drafting another one in those middle or late rounds. And you wonder if maybe this is the year Carolina decides to bring in a young quarterback in one of those mid to late rounds. And, and it's almost like you almost – you buy a lottery ticket in a lot of ways, and you see maybe you strike gold and you get a quarterback who turns out to be really good. And if you get him in one of those later rounds, you've got a piece that could be considered a value to, to move somewhere else, or you've got some stability at your quarterback room if you suffer an injury and you need a guy to step in. I mean, you just look at some of the, the teams that have done this recently. You know, the Connor, Connor Cook was drafted in the fourth round by the Oakland Raiders. Of course, Derek Carr is, is their face of their franchise, one of the top quarterbacks in the league right now. Brett Hundley was drafted in the fifth round by the Green Bay Packers. Nobody's questioning Aaron Rodgers' position with that team. He's arguably the best player in the league. You look at A.J. McCarron drafted in the fifth round to the Bengals. Of course, Andy Dalton has been their longtime established quarterback. And, and McCarron, when he got his chance, kind of proved his worth and and then you kind of had some people wondering, would the Bengals be interested in maybe you know, trading him for some value? So there are a lot of kind of factors that go into this, Brian, but I'm curious what your thoughts of on Carolina maybe pouncing on a quarterback in this draft. I was feverishly trying to look up those guys, Max. I you, had it for but you. But you beat me to the punch, gotcha. but I remember you know, maybe because he was an NC State guy and a Wisconsin guy. Like, like he was I, a Badger more than he was part <laughs> of the pack. Let's, let's be honest. Well, based on uh, you know, terms of years of service. But anyway um, – yeah, I remember we we even talked about how about Russell Wilson as a guy you know to pick in like the fifth or sixth round or something like that to to back up Cam. Of course, we didn't know what he would become, but it is it is the kind of thing you look at, and it's not an indictment on Cam at all. It's not uh, an indictment on Derek Anderson, Joe Webb, for that matter. It's the reality of this league that you know you look for talent at every position and you look for value within the draft. And that list you gave is like I said exactly what I was looking for. Like 
you know, I don't think people were up in arms because the Packers picked Brett Hundley. Uh, now, they may have been a little up in arms when they picked Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> right. as we recall that, with Brett Favre as, sure. the, as the signal caller at that point. A little bit different situation there. You know, Landry Jones with the Steelers is another guy mm-hmm. that, you know, Big Ben, although maybe getting near the end yeah. of the road. And can't, again, you know, we're, not, we're just talking about – um, you know, acquiring talent, and then you never you never know what happens with a guy like that, and what they can add to the equation. Um, you know, we don't want to talk about it, but obviously players get hurt at yeah. every, every position, in quarter, including quarterback. No, you're absolutely right, and I think I, I view this the same way I view the offensive tackle spot is almost you, you get at a certain point in the draft in a certain year where you say we'll we'll take a chance, we'll take a chance on one of these guys, and and maybe you strike gold. Um, in those in those middle rounds, those late rounds, you have an opportunity to maybe take a bit of a risk, take a gamble, and we've seen a lot of teams at the quarterback position do it, um, and they've had success with it. And I, I think it's maybe something to keep an eye on as we head into this this year's draft. All right, well that's going to wrap up our discussion of the passing game as it pertains to the Panthers in the 2017 draft. Uh, we've got one more final segment coming up. We're going to talk about uh, the game tape versus athletic testing and how that kind of plays into the stock rising and falling for prospects this time of year. So stay tuned here on the Panthers Pre-Jaff Podcast. Podcast.